Thank you, Matt. Thank you for those taking the offering right now. Good morning. Let me try that again, because I heard from about three of you just now. Good morning. All right. How are we doing today? All right. Hope you're doing well. I am on this beautiful weekend, hot and sweaty. Well, there's been a, a number of serious issues that we've had right in front of us in the news on the world stage over these past several weeks, and um, we've talked about them some here over the past couple weeks, and uh, it strikes me that there's none more serious on the world stage today than Pokemon Go. <laughs> Have you heard of Pokemon Go? Raise your hand, hopefully. Okay. The rest of you are living on another planet, I guess. Uh, I think we need to spend a few minutes to talk about this very serious issue, Pokemon Go. So in honor of Pokemon Go and in honor of uh, letting you know what's going on in our church and in our world, we've given you a top five e-free church, no-go Pokemon Go stops here at the church, okay? This is your announcements and uh, your top five on Pokemon as well, somehow together. I'm not sure how it'll work, but... Stick with me. All right, from five to one, number five. I uh, do want to reinforce what Matt just said. I don't think any Pokemon was found at VBS last week. It was a no-go Pokemon stop, but man, VBS was phenomenal. We had uh, over 300 kids and over 120 volunteers. Isn't that cool? 120 volunteers. Would you give it up for them? It was a great, great week. I, I met numerous families that I've never met before, and uh, so cool to see families eating together before they went to VBS. Over 500 people fed on a number of nights, and uh, just a great, great week. W were you involved in VBS? If you were, would you raise your hand? Okay. Thank you to those who were involved. All the rest are still sleeping after a very long week. Really, really appreciate it. Okay, number four, um, no-go Pokemon Go stop is the storehouse. Storehouse just celebrated its second anniversary, and next week there will be a car care clinic at the storehouse for families who might need some help with their, fare, with their cars, but maybe can't afford it completely. And there's more details in your handout on that. You won't find any Pokemon, but you will find some help with your car there if you need it. Or maybe you know someone in the community who could use some help with that. Third, uh, this afternoon, right after this service, we have a venue gathering, and we are tearing up all of the old carpet in the venue in order to... Uh, replace it this coming week as we're launching the venue worship service at 9.15 on August 28th. We're only five weeks away from that, and that room is coming together in a, just a wonderful, tremendous way that's going to be great for Forge and for student ministries and for the venue service and all the different ministries that happen in the North Auditorium. Uh, we are taking that old, ugly, nasty carpet up and replacing it with beautiful carpet though this week. Who's going to join me over there to pick up that carpet? Come on, raise your hand. Okay, I only see about three or four. Okay, we got Hector over. Okay. If, if you could consider giving an hour up though this afternoon, we will serve lunch, and uh, you won't find any Pokemon, but you can take a piece of carpet with you if you'd like. Okay, number two, main hallway, information center. If you're a newcomer here, we welcome you to go out there and find whatever information you need about our church. We'd love to meet you whenever you're ready to introduce yourself to us, but at that information center, we always have a lot going on and um, a variety of different uh, packets about various ministries that are happening right now. We have an international student friendship program at UNK that's being profiled right now. Last week, 
We mentioned that in the service, and 11 families committed to being partner families with UNK international students. Isn't that great? I mean, the response that we're getting here. I'm so proud to be a pastor at this church to see the response again and again as we give these opportunities to grow in love with Christ and all people. And final no-go Pokemon go stop is this worship center. While you may not be able to pick up Pokemon in here, we do pray you have a safe opportunity to worship God here and really a nice time to connect with other people. Do not be tempted to come up on the stage. This is my area for the next 40 minutes. There will be no Pokemon up here. Okay. Did it work? I'm not sure that it did. <laughs> that was my idea. Cody went along with it. God bless him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning and the opportunity to laugh together. Thank you for the kindness of these dear people who laughed with me a little bit. We praise you, God, for a beautiful morning and uh, for opportunity to live in this great town and to worship you freely. We thank you, Lord, for the liberties we have. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to be together as a community. And we pray, God, that you grow us in our mission statement, which is to build a transformational community right here that is growing in love with Christ and all people. We say we desire more of you, Lord Jesus. Would you make yourself known to us today, even as we enter into the book of Daniel? Teach us. We avail ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, this morning we're going to open up to Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 4. And we are in this eight-week message series in which we're looking at the book of Daniel and uh, the character of Daniel. And even more than looking at the whole of the book of Daniel, you know by now that we are looking at the character of Daniel to seek to understand how he thrived and how he helped the Jewish people thrive in Babylon. And Babylon was a wicked place, and it was a rapidly changing culture. And even so, Daniel and his compatriots learned how to thrive there. And they give us a great example of how we might also grow in our culture as our culture is rapidly changing and how do we bless it and how do we grow right where God has planted us here today. And in the midst of the series, we're doing kind of a three-week mini-series that's related to gaining credibility in our communities, gaining influence in our culture. Even in the culture of Babylon, we can gain influence. And so how do we do that? And last week, well, we talked about courage the priority of being people of courage who stand up and obey God no matter the consequences. And being people of courage who are willing to take risks for God and for other people. And this was the big idea that we shared last week. We grow in courage as we take small risks for God and for people around us. And we just noted that many of us have gotten out of the habit of taking steps of faith into the unknown, steps of courage for God and what he wants done in the world which was why it was so encouraging to me that so many families signed up to help out international students this coming year. And I heard from others this past week who had very difficult conversations with family members in which they were butting heads or difficult conversations while with someone in the neighborhood. And sometimes it's that. It's walking across the room and taking a risk for the cause of Christ. It's courage that we need to gain credibility in the culture we're living in. But we did note last week that if you have courage without humility, that leads to a quick death. And likewise, if you have humility without courage, then you're left being a doormat. That's not what we want. We want the mix between these two, to be people of courage and people of humility. And when you bring these two together amongst followers of Christ, 
You make a great difference in the world. The very foundations of hell are shaken by people who are known by both courage and humility. People who are known by both are those who can thrive in Babylon. And so next week we'll hit on a third uh, theme related to earning credibility, and that's wisdom to be as innocent as doves and shrewd as serpents, as Jesus said. But today, the focus is on humility. Humility is something, it strikes me, that most of us really want for someone else. You, you know, and we talk about it in the church all the time, like it's something that we really want. But truth be told, we want it for somebody else. We, we, we really don't prize humility. We, we speak of people coming from humble stock or a humble condition or they had to eat humble pie. And we don't mean it as a compliment. You think about the power brokers in our culture, whether it be Clinton or Trump or Obama or Clooney or Taylor Swift or LeBron James or Steve Jobs or whoever the power brokers are, they're not prized for their humility. They're not admired for that. And so I think we unfortunately can take some of that and we hear the church talk about humility all the time and we think of humility as something that would be really great for someone else. And so what I'd like to do here to begin before we define humility and before we, we talk about growing in humility, I think it would be really helpful for us just to state what humility is not, what humility isn't. And I'm helped in this by pastor and author Larry Osborne as he has noted that humility is not self-esteem. Let me give three things that humility is not. Humility is not low self-esteem. It's not um, this sense that I need to just go about looking at all the ways that I am weak. No, actually, biblical humility is thinking of yourself with sober judgment, accurately assessing both your strengths and your weaknesses. Jesus was both uh, humble and at the same time God. <laughs> and he said so. He said that he was God in flesh. Was he less than humble in saying that? No, he was just accurately assessing who he was. Okay, so humility is not equal to low self-esteem. Likewise, humility is not the absence of ambition. There is a common mentality today, especially in the church, that humility is kind of moping around like Eeyore, looking for Piglet. Woe is me. Everyone feels sorry for me, and I'm not going to strive for anything. Well, when we read Daniel, that's not what we see, is it? As we read Daniel, we see a man who had great ambition, someone who reached second in command within Babylon. And so also with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they kept moving up the organizational ladder within the Babylonian government. The Bible says similarly, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it as unto God and not for men. What it's saying there is pursue quality, pursue excellence. Go for it. I mean, why not? Why would, God want, why would God want anything less than our very best? It strikes me that far too many of us are okay with not doing our best. And fortunately, God will accept our meager offerings and his compassion and his grace. He accepts our very weak offerings, but he always invites us to strive to bring our very best. 
Humility is not the absence of ambition. And finally, humility is not passivity. It's not being a doormat to others. It's not allowing your husband or your wife or your boss to tear you apart and just saying, no big deal. Jesus invites us instead to actively serve, not to passively become someone else's doormat. And thank God, right? Thank God that's not biblical humility. Because none of us would want that. And moreover, that will not help you thrive in Babylon. Those kinds of characteristics will not help you become an influence right where we are. Rather, what we see as taught by Jesus and exemplified by Daniel is this beautiful form of humility that is just magnetic. Other people see it and they stand up and they salute. They see it and they say, I want more of what you got. I want to know more of the God that you know. And so we're going to look at Daniel's humility in chapters 2 and 4, and uh, we're going to learn from him how to be more of an influencer right where we live through humility. Here's the first clue that I get from Daniel in chapter 2. It's this. Humble influencers don't put themselves down. They prop others up. They don't prop themselves up either, but it's not about becoming a doormat once again. It's about becoming a servant. They prop others up. One of the things that immediately stands out as you read this book was how faithfully the lead character served all kinds of people. In fact, he served, leader, he served leaders so well that he kept being promoted up the hierarchy in Babylon. And his credibility in Babylon grew greater and greater until this young Jewish foreigner was promoted to become second in command in the entirety of the Babylonian Empire, which is just a gigantic empire at that time in 600 B.C. Take a look at Daniel chapter 2, and we'll see his humility, how he props up people above him, people next to him, and even people below him. Look at Daniel chapter 2, starting at verse uh, let's start at verse 45. You'll see these on the screen. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you have your Bible app open or if, you're, uh, if you've already turned to your Bible, but you can also follow along on the screen. It says in verse 45, A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. So uh, the king has asked all of his wise men to interpret his, his dream. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. And uh, none of them could do it. But Daniel steps up, and he's able to do it, and he says, it wasn't me that interpreted the dream. Let's give credit to who deserves credit. It's God that helped me to interpret this dream. It wasn't me. This great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to, Jan to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And so what you see here is uh, Daniel takes what God has given and he uses it to boost up the king by providing this interpretation of a dream for his benefit. 
We're not looking at the contents of the dream right now. I just want you to notice the character that he boosts up a man who's done awful things to him. He seeks to serve him humbly in this moment. He gives God the credit. And then he uses his newfound leverage after he's been promoted in verse 49 to boost his three friends as well. Look at verse 49. It says, Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So Daniel doesn't just say, look at me, I'm special. He looks out at his other friends and said, hey, king, if you like what I brought to the table, look at these guys too. They're men of wisdom. They're men of prayer. They're men of, hum of humility. You can trust in them. Promote them as well. It's just amazing how much can be done for God's kingdom when nobody cares who gets the credit. And that was Daniel. He didn't want to get all the credit. He's looking to share it. He's looking to boost up his friends as well. And then finally, this is amazing what a leader he is. If you look back at verse 24, at the way he serves, he humbly serves even those he was opposed to, even those who were his enemies in a sense. Verse 24 Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to, to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. So once again, just a little bit of context. Uh, the king asked his wise men to interpret this dream that he has. None of them are able to with all of their occult practices and all of their astrology. And so the king says, I'm going to kill them all. And what does Daniel do? In spite of their occult, in spite of the fact that they look to trick Daniel and trap him in other places, he still serves them by literally saving their lives in this moment. This is the very rare 360-degree leader who looks to prop up those above him, who looks to serve those next to him, and looks even to help those who would be opposed and beneath him. It's so beautiful. I mean, we talk about this on a regular basis because we see it from Jesus. Love your enemies is what Daniel is doing here. He's loving his enemies. And I don't know about you. We see this from Jesus, but I don't really want to practice that. Anyone else? I mean, come on. We talk about loving your enemies, but, but none of us really likes that idea. But this is found over and over over again in the Bible. Here we see it with Daniel. You think of Joseph back in Genesis who served his captors in Egypt. Much like Daniel, he became a man in, in high demand. He moved way up the, the ranks and he, he served his captors and he, he served Egypt. And then he served his own brothers after his brothers had betrayed him and left him for dead. He, he forgave them and he served them as well. Or you fast forward to the New Testament and you think of Stephen, who was the very first martyr in the church. And in Acts chapter 6, as he's being killed by Saul, who later became Paul, and by others, as he's being stoned, what does he say? He says the same words that Jesus said on the cross. Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Just forgive them. Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I can't help but believe that Saul, as he's watching on, was influenced by Stephen in that moment. Because later on, he had this capacity to serve and to love those churches that loved him, like the Philippians, but also he had this capacity to serve and love churches that did not love him and were annoyed by him and that annoyed him as well, like in Corinth. 
And he served and he loved them too. Or you think of Jesus, uh, excuse me, Jesus. You think of Jesus, who served not only his 11 faithful apostles, but also that apostle who betrayed him, named Judas. He washed all of their feet one by one, including the feet of that betrayer. A little closer to home, I thought this past week of all the teachers and the principals that I've had the privilege of meeting since I've been here, who are here in this church and have been serving as, as principals and teachers for decades. And um, I've talked to them, and, and, and regularly they say, oh, I gave the whole of my vocation to these children, and it is such a joy to see the way they've grown up, and now I get to see some of them uh, they're career men and women, and they have families, and they're sometimes in the church, and, and, and sometimes I get to see them in the community, and what a joy it is to see them. But I would bet that at one time, when they were in sixth grade, you didn't love them, teachers. I mean, there were times that they probably were enemies to your sanity, but you loved them in terms of serving them, building them up across decades and decades. I've talked to teachers here who were serving in the local public schools for 50-some years, 40-some years. It's just stunning. It's a beautiful portrait of not thinking of self, but propping others up such that they would succeed for the glory of God. And so it is for us when we proactively look to humbly serve those who are ambivalent to us, and sometimes to humbly serve those who are downright opposed to us. When we do that, it gives space for the gospel of Christ to shine. When we proactively and humbly serve those who would be opposed to us, it gives an opportunity for the gospel of Christ to look so different as it is from every other worldview out there. So that's the first clue we get from Daniel. The second one goes like this. Humble influencers seek answers and then they share them with gentleness and respect. They seek answers to the difficult questions, but then they look to share them in a way that is loving. Daniel has this very rare gift. In both chapter 2 and in chapter 4, he's given these dreams to interpret. And I think it's a very rare gift, and I, I would want to say that um, you want to be very careful if you ever talk to someone who tells you that God interpreted this dream, and this dream is for you. Be very careful of that stuff. Or be very careful of someone who says, God told me to tell you this or that. Be very careful about that stuff. The normal way that God speaks to us is through his word. And sometimes when we go to prayer, he might specifically answer a prayer for us. Or sometimes he might give you a specific answer through a word that is preached to you. Or, or something like that. But it's very rare that God will speak to you through someone else or through some dream interpreter. You get into all kinds of dangerous stuff there from the likes of Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung and others when you go there. Okay, so don't, don't go there. But for some reason, God has given this very unique gift to Daniel, and he has this ability to interpret dreams. And now he's given yet another opportunity in chapter 4 of Daniel to interpret this dream that the king has and explain to him what is coming. But Daniel's in a pickle of some sorts because the meaning of the dream is this. God is the hammer, and you, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the nail. This is the dream that you had. And here's the interpretation. And I have to come to you, Nebuchadnezzar, and tell you the truth. God is the hammer, and he's a tough hammer, and he's coming down hard on you, Nebuchadnezzar. And I get to be the deliverer of that message. 
And so he goes on, and he's kind of hemming and hawing in verse 19 of chapter 4. It says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while after he got this interpretation of the dream. And his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Belteshazzar, whose name was Daniel, answered and said, My Lord, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. What you see there is this profound sense of respect and humility for a king who had repeatedly mistreated him and his people. This was a king who captured Jerusalem and killed many Jews. This was a king who destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. This is a king who castrated Daniel. This was a king who changed his name so that it would reflect one of his gods. And he responds, my Lord, but if this dream could be for one of your adversaries instead. Would that have been your response? <laughs> Can I tell you what my response would have been? Oh, God is going to get you and I cannot wait to see it. <laughs> God is coming down on you, you big bully, and you're going to get what's coming to you. I cannot wait to see him take you down. He is a good judge, and he's coming down on you, and I can't wait to see it all. That would have been my response. How about you? I mean, after all that he had been through, but this was a man that was so full of the love of God that he responded differently. He actually believed that God was in charge of those who were in charge. And so he chose to respect those who were in charge. And not only so, he actually believed that to make an influence in Babylon, to sustain credibility in Babylon, the very best pathway would be gentleness and respect. Friends, humility is the forgotten pathway. If you want to make a difference in our world, it's, it's gentleness, it is respect, in your little postage stamp of creation, that is the forgotten way that will make a difference where we live. Look at the way the Apostle Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 3. In fact, let's read this out loud together. Would you join me? Such a powerful verse from the Apostle Peter as he's writing to his Roman audience, which wasn't favorable to Christianity either. Please, Gene, please join me. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with woo, gentleness and respect. Give your answer. You got a hope in Christ? You got a reason in Christ? Do it with reverence. Do it with respect. Do it with gentleness. What the world is longing for is Christians who don't yell at them. Let's not be like that apologetics addict that we think of who is all mouth and no heart. You guys know Tim Stratton? I love Tim Stratton for this very reason. He has so many fantastic answers to difficult scientific and philosophical questions that we have. But he's got a heart the size of his chest cavity. He loves people. He's a shepherd of people. 
Such a great example. Let's not be like a theological tyrant who has all the answers but then makes people feel small. Or a Facebook fanatic or a Twitter tweet who hides behind a keyboard and doesn't have real courage. Share whatever answers that you might find with gentleness and respect. The world is longing for this. I tell you, you have questions today? Seek those answers. Seek them. This is a great place to ask your questions. Keep seeking the answers. And then as you find answers, that's a wonderful thing, but share them with gentleness and respect. Friends, this is so vital today because as you know, there's been a change in our culture. There's been a turn in our culture. It may have been in generations past that people could hear you beyond what they see and feel from you. But there's been a change in our culture that goes like this. People won't listen to anything you say until they see and feel love and respect from you. It's almost like wax just gets clumped up in their ears the moment you start to, start to speak about truth. If they don't feel, if they don't see love and respect for, from you, they won't listen to a word that you say. There's been this change in our culture. And humble, influ in, humble influencers understand that about today's culture. They understand that most people today feel and see before they hear. You expect that. That people are going to feel something from you. They're going to see a posture of humility from you. And if they see that from you, then they're willing to hear from you. And the truth is, many, many people today simply don't care about how much you know until they are sure of how much you care. And the posture that we have will reveal either pridefulness or humility. I'll just confess to you. Early on in my Christian life, I had this habit of accumulating so much information, so much knowledge, and then backing up the dump truck on people and say, good luck. Or getting into arguments, which I called conversations, come on. There are arguments in which I wanted to show how right I was and how wrong you were. And people would feel a certain edge from me, or they'd sense a defensive tone from me. And I started to see, in each of these conversations, there would be some point in which someone realized, this is a monologue. This is not a dialogue. And the blinders went down over their eyes. They just couldn't hear it. It didn't matter how much information I had, they just couldn't hear it. And that's what's happened all over our culture. The way we say it, the way we say is every bit as important as what we say. Let me give you a little example, a recent example. You remember the horrific nightclub shootings at the gay nightclub in Orlando about a month ago. You remember those? It was like 10 shootings ago. So I was with a, a good friend shortly after those shootings. And uh, this very good friend and his wife uh, loved me even though they don't like my stance on marriage. And I uh, still believe, no matter where our culture has gone, that marriage is intended to be between one man and one woman for life. And I still believe that sex is intended for the context of marriage between one man and one woman for life. And he knows that, and he kind of chuckles at it sometimes. 
But I'm okay with that because I'm going with what God said, to be honest. <laughs> and I believe whatever God says actually will be best for us. It will be best for our society. It will be best for cultures. It will be best for families. It will be best for individuals in the long haul. I really believe that. But he likes to, to chuckle from time to time at me because of that. And from time to time, he and his, his wife will look for an opportunity to make little passive-aggressive comments about the latest news story related to that or um, about Chick-fil-A restaurant or whatever it might be. And I usually just listen and listen and ask some more questions and just listen. Because listening speaks a lot. But then I look for an opportunity that perhaps I could share an answer with gentleness and respect. And recently we were talking about this and that terrible nightclub shooting came up and I was able to share with him, did, did you hear about the response of the Chick-fil-A restaurant to that nightclub shooting? And he said, no, I didn't, I didn't hear about that. And I said, it was, it was really pretty amazing, Cut, can I share it with you? And he said, sure. And I said, so um, after the nightclub response, you know, that, that, that happened on a, a Saturday night, that there was awful shooting, 40 people died, and the next morning, Chick-fil-A is closed on a Sunday, but Numerous franchise owners and their employees elected to come into their restaurant on Sunday and work even though they had never done that before. And the only work they did was making sandwiches and potato fries and iced tea to deliver it to people at the nightclub and to deliver it to people at the blood banks who were donating blood after those shootings. So did, did you hear about that? No, I, I didn't hear that. that that's, that's pretty amazing. He, he said, Adrian, aren't they like a, a Christian organization or something? Why would they do that? I said, because they're a Christian organization. <laughs> because that's what you do with people that you agree with and people that you disagree with. And as I said, they, they have this, this motto of going the second mile for people. And if you've ever been in there, that's exactly what they do. They, they go the second mile in their service for people, people they agree with or people they disagree with. And, and somehow in the whole narrative around them, things have got confused. You see, they've never discriminated against anyone, either they've served or that they've hired. They've never discriminated against anyone, but they just believe in going the second mile for people who are hurting, including those that they disagree with. So that's what they did. And he said, wow, that is really cool. You see, he felt and he saw an apologetic which previously he could never hear. And it was really cool. And here's why it's really cool. Because it looked like Jesus. Amen? It looked like what Jesus would do. It looked like humility. It looked like compassion. It looked like Jesus. And, and this is what Daniel does as well. I mean, he just goes out of his way to bless those who love and those who hate. And at the end of Daniel chapter 4, you see this miraculous response. Daniel tells the king to repent and to turn away from his sins, and perhaps God will, will relent the calamity that he has planned for you, and God in his mercy will, will come and give you a second chance, and that's exactly what God does. He disciplines Nebuchadnezzar in a great way, but then he gives Nebuchadnezzar a second chance, and the king repents, and he turns. You look at Daniel chapter 4, starting at verse 34. It says, At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. 
and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, Nebuchadnezzar said, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors, my Lord, sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And God humbles him, and he repents, apparently with sincerity, and perhaps we'll see this wicked man even in heaven. And I hope you can take from that that God is able to bow the knee of anyone. And I hope you take from that that God is able to influence our neighborhoods and our schools and our communities and our little postage stamp of creation as we pray, as we act with courage, as we humbly serve, as we love as Christ would love. You see, people respond to this stuff. The Bible is true. It is the very best message out there. The way of Christ is better than any other alternative. And when people see it, it's magnetizing. It draws people in. They say, I want something of what that person has, that they have backbone, and yet at the same time, they love. They speak with gentleness and respect. Now, the easiest thing for me to do right now would just be to stop this message and to say, go be humble. But how would that go? For me, it wouldn't work. That application wouldn't work. Because here's the truth. I don't have what it takes in me to be humble like that. I just don't. I've tried many times. Before, as a Christian, I tried many times. But I can't be that kind of man. I can't serve those who would oppose me in the way Daniel does or the way Jesus prescribes on my own. Can you? And so the takeaway from this message is not leave here and go be more humble. The takeaway from this message is look to Christ daily and humility will grow. This is the only way, friends. It's as we look to Christ daily, the very embodiment of humility, that humility and gentleness and respect will grow from us. Think of him who left it all for you and me. Think often of the one who is our great example, who left the glory of heaven to become a babe in the manger, who became a refugee in Egypt for a time and was raised in a nobody town called Nazareth, who chose as his closest disciples, some ordinary tradesmen, and who was raised by impoverished parents, who relinquished power and took on powerlessness for us. What an example he is. But here's the thing. He's not just an example. He also went all the way to the cross to die for us, to forgive us when we fail, and then to empower us to become the kind of people that we could never become by our own self-effort. We'll never become really humble people by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. Just won't work, it's too hard. We become that kind of people by receiving the lifeblood of Jesus day in and day out, looking at him, asking him to fill us up again, 
asking him to empower us and strengthen us, surrendering our lives to him each and every day. And then he turns us into the different kind of creations that can become that which we wish to be but could never become by our own self-effort. So let's ask for his help. Would you join me? Would you bow your heart and ask for his help that we could be changed in this way? Lord Jesus, we look to you now. Indeed, we commit to looking to you daily. We ask for that kind of humility that you had, that Daniel had, that it might grow in us. We ask that from it we might become greater influencers in our neighborhoods, at our workplaces, with our sports teams, at our schools, in this community. Father, would you please help us to balance courage and humility. Through it all, Father, we're going to trust you to do that which we could never do on our own. We admit that to you this morning. We could never take on Christ's likeness on our own. We can't do what Daniel did on our own. We deeply need you. And we deeply desire to live like you. So we ask God that it may be so in every one of us through your power, by your Spirit's presence. We ask this in the name of Jesus.